Good morning, church. Hello again. You've never seen me this often, this frequently. This is the third part in our series on returning home, where we're taking a helicopter view of Scripture. We're looking at the storyline of the Bible and seeing how God has been on a mission to return us back home. We've seen that home essentially is where God is. Home is where God's presence is, very center of His presence. That's where home is. And wherever God is, there is life, there is healing, there is blessing, there is abundance, right? And that is why wherever, whenever you see a glimpse of home, a little piece of home in Scripture, there's blessings that flows. And always God's presence is there. Today, we are going to tackle um, the subject of exile. Exile. Might seem like an odd subject in a series entitled Returning Home, because exile is about leaving home, but it's super important. Because throughout the storyline of the Bible, we see a pattern of the people of God being at home and being away from home. Now, when I use the term exile, I just mean, I just use it as a broad category to describe that transitional state where the people of God are physically away from their homeland or from the place that God wants them to be, right? For example, Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years on the way to um, the promised land of Canaan, right? They were stuck in this, in this transitional state of, of being away from the promised land. Um, when after the kingdom of Israel was set up and established through a series of disobedience, they were exiled, literally exiled, captured, conquered by a foreign nation called Babylon. And they were brought into exile by this nation. And this is another state, transitional state, of the people of God being away from their physical home. Now, the reason why it's so important that we as believers understand this and address this is because we are in a kind of exile-like state. We are in an exile-like state, in a sense. And even the, the Apostle Peter, uh, if you remember, when we went, did the book of First Peter, he referred to us as the elect exiles. What did he mean by that? So that's what we're going to address today, okay? That's what we're going to address today. Now, the only difference between our exile, the state that we're in, and the exile that Israel experienced throughout Scripture is that, well, our exile is not because of disobedience, right? Our exile is because the state that we're in is because of the salvation plan of God. But there are similarities. There are things that we can learn um, from Scripture of these moments of exile that we can learn from. Okay, so the first, I want to highlight two of these moments for us today. The first is the wilderness journey that Israel went through. When they were leaving Egypt, they were about to enter the promised land, they were on the cusp of entering the promised land, and then they saw that the people in that land were very strong, like giants, we are like grasshoppers to them. And so they quaked in fear, they got cold feet, and they decided not to do it. They didn't trust that God could win the battle for them. They didn't trust that God could win the battle for them. Because of this disobedience, the entire generation was sent to back into the wilderness, back into the literal desert, to wander around for 40 years until that generation died out. Now, even though that was a terrible season, it was a season of disobedience, they were literally in the desert, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. It's amazing to see that even in this exile-like state, God was still blessing them. God was still blessing them. 
For example, wherever they went in multiple occasions, even though they're wandering in the, in the wilderness, in the desert, water would come up from a rock. Have you ever seen water come up from a rock? But wherever they went, a literal oasis would start springing up in the desert. They would, even though they were wandering in the wilderness that is devoid of life, wildlife, they were always fed. God provided them food uh, in the form of quail, which would just land on the ground and offer, it, offer themselves up on a, on a platter. They, 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 there was a dew-like substance that would form along the ground and they would cook it and make it like a wafer-like substance called manna. Even though they were in the desert, they were constantly fed, they were constantly watered. And get this, in those 40 years of wandering, walking around in the desert, their clothes and sandals never wore out. Deuteronomy 29 verse five, right? It says this, their clothes and sandals, the footwear never wore out. My footwear can't last five years. Their footwear lasted 40 years. It's amazing, that's the blessing of God. And above all this, God's presence never left them. It followed them in a pillar of cloud by day so that they were cool in the desert sun and in a pillar of fire by night so that they would never wander around in darkness to keep them safe. So you see, everywhere Israel went, you see this camp of Israel just wandering around the desert and wherever they would go, an oasis would pop up. Literally, water would start flowing there, there'd be suddenly uh, an abundance of birds, suddenly in that area, right? An oasis would flow. And that's because God was still blessing the people even though they were in exile. Now we fast forward all the way to um, when Israel was conquered by Babylon, right? When Israel was conquered by the kingdom of Babylon, this was the lowest point in history, in their national history. This was when they were humiliated, oppressed by a foreign nation, and they were stuck now in a culture that was completely foreign to them. But even though this was their case, even though they looked around and it was, this was, this can't get any worse, God's blessings still flowed. God was still blessing them. We see this in the, um, in the person of Daniel. If you remember Daniel, if you're familiar with Daniel at all, um, he is an Israelite that was stuck in foreign captivity, in Babylonian captivity. The tactic that Babylonians would, Babylonians would do is whenever they would capture a nation is, or conquer a nation, they would take the best of the best um, of that nation and bring them into the royal court. Now, you might think, oh, that, that's, that's really generous of them because, so that they can train them up and send them back out. No, 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 no. The tactic, the strategy was to take your best and then make them our best, right? I'm gonna take the best that you have and I'm gonna make them our own. So they would assimilate these young men into Babylonian culture, change their names, give them a new identity so that they're no longer Israelites, they're Babylonians. Right? And that's what Daniel was doing. Or that was what was being done to Daniel when we see him in Daniel chapter, in Daniel chapter one. And so he's going through this preparation vetting process right, in Daniel chapter one. And Daniel is adamant that he wants to stay faithful to God. And so he is adamant that he wants to keep the kosher food laws. If you remember the food laws from last week, he wants to keep them and abide by them. And so he asks the officials that are, that are supervising him for a test. Test us, 
me and my three friends, feed us, we're gonna abide by these food laws. We're just gonna eat vegetables, okay? And you compare us with the rest of your candidates and see who fares better after a few days. And it says this in Daniel chapter one, verse 15. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And so you see, even in exile, even when they were physically away from their home, God was still blessing his people. God's blessings were still flowing. Oh, an oasis was still flowing in the desert. Now, when we fast forward in history to when Christ came to earth, when Christ was physically on earth, it was like the kingdom of heaven had literally come on earth. Wherever Jesus went, paradise formed, right? Wherever Jesus went, people were healed, lame walked, blind saw, the deaf heard, right? Wherever people went, people were restored, um, tax collectors were brought back into the community there because they were excluded, they were ostracized, but they were brought back into the community. Prostitutes were restored and forgiven and given new hope in life. But Jesus spoke of a time when he would have to leave, right? And I, I know this is all not news to us because Jesus is literally physically not here, but, but he spoke of a time that he would have to leave. And he saw this time, the time that he was on earth, and the time when he would have to leave, as separate eras, almost. Something was unique about the time that he was on earth, and there would be a time when he would leave, and that would also be separate, different, than when he was here, physically. In Matthew chapter nine, verse 15, when he was asked why his disciples are not fasting, were not fasting, Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Right, then they will fast. Why do you fast? Why do you fast? Well, you fast because you're in mourning. You fast because you're eagerly looking towards something that is not yet here, right? So there is a time when the, the bridegroom's here and that was when he was physically on earth, but then there's gonna be a time when the bridegroom's gonna leave, and that's different. That's gonna be time when you're going to have to fast. There's, there's, there's something that is not yet here that you're looking forward to. Jesus told this in other ways, in other parables, like he would use the parable of, he told the story about a master who had to go away for a long period of time, right? And then he would come back. Okay, why do I say all this? Okay, so my point is, we are in this season, we are in the era where the bridegroom has left, right? We are in the era where the bridegroom has left, the master has left the house and is on his long trip. And that is why in this era, we are described as exiles by the apostle Peter, right? And that is why in, in other words and more words, the apostle Paul also describes us like this. For we know, and the second Corinthians chapter five is one to seven. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, 
longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For we, while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So what Paul, the Apostle Paul is doing for us is explaining the state that we are living in. What is the state that we find ourselves in when the bridegroom is away? Paul's teaching us that we are in this weird transition state where we are both at home and away from the Lord at the same time. And describes it this way. We are spiritually at home with the Lord, but physically away from Him. Right? We are spiritually at home with the Lord, but physically we are away from Him. Spiritually, we are at home with the Lord because we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within us. If home is where God is, then where is home? Where is home? Right here, right? Right here. This is home, right here, spiritually. Because Christ dwells within us, in each of us, and amongst us through the Spirit of Christ, through the Holy Spirit. And this is amazing. This is an unprecedented era of intimacy that the human race has never experienced, ever. Adam and Eve didn't experience this because God would walk among the, the garden, walk among them to interact with them, but he would never live within them. It was never described that way. Israel would have the, the manifest presence of God dwelling among them. You would look and you could see a cloud hanging over that, that structure over there. But he didn't live within them. Right? He only lived within a few of them, like Moses and the 70 elders and Joshua. But not everyone. But now, now the Spirit of Christ dwells within all believers. That's unprecedented intimacy that, we've, that the human race has never experienced ever before. And that's incredible. Not only does God live within us, not only is home here, but our home is there in heaven. Colossians 3, verse 3, describes it like this. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Our life is hidden with Christ. So not only is, does the Spirit of Christ live within us, but our life is with Him. He's in us and we are with Him. So our home is heavenly. Our home is spiritual. It's both here spiritually, but it's also there with Christ, right? But however, however, even though spiritually we are at home, physically we are not. Physically we are not, because where is Christ right now? Physically, bodily. When he ascended to heaven, bodily, where is he? Standing at the right hand of the Father. Physically, he's there, wherever there is, right? Because he's not here. If he were here, we could go to him, but he's not. He's up there, physically, in heaven. And because we are only spiritually at home with the Lord, but not physically at home, because the bridegroom is not here yet, he's coming back very soon. But he's not here yet, and because of this, the spiritual and physical have not merged. And that is why our physical world is still fallen. 
we still experience chaos, fallenness, we, we um, still experience, our physical body is still flawed, we still get sick. I'm not saying we don't get healed, but I'm saying we still get sick. For example, COVID. COVID, right? Every, it wasn't that the, the church was spared from COVID. Everyone got COVID, right? Almost everyone got COVID. So we still get sick because we are living in this earthly tent. The earthly tent and the, spirit, and the heavenly tent have not merged yet. The spiritual and physical have not, come, have, not, have not come together yet. And because of this, we still experience pain. We still experience suffering. Even though the kingdom of God has come, it has not come completely. And because of this, there is something that is not quite right yet. Something is not entirely complete yet. And that is why we have good days and bad days. That is why when we work, sometimes we have great success and sometimes we have great failure. We have believers that get sick. We have believers that suffer emotionally, even mentally with struggles, natural disasters for before both good and the bad, the, the, the righteous and the evil. We experience setbacks, failure, not so good times. And it's because Physically, we are not in paradise yet. Physically, we're not in paradise yet. Yet at the same time, we experience still moments where the kingdom of heaven breaks through. We experience moments where the kingdom of God, the realities of the kingdom of God break through on earth and the spirit, what is spiritual now becomes physical. These are moments. Just like Israel, just like Israel experienced blessings in the wilderness, we experience blessings in our wilderness. We experience blessings, the Lord's blessings, even more so because the Spirit of the Lord lives within us. Even more so, even more so than when Israel was, was wandering in the wilderness, even more so. But it doesn't happen immediately and all the time. If I can maybe explain it this way. Um, who here has drank bubble tea before? Bubble tea? Bubble tea. You know what? I'm actually surprised that more hands are not going up. Um, if you haven't, please do. Just walk into any shopping center and <laughs> you'll find one. Um, amazing drink. Amazing drink. Uh, where there is the liquid and there is the bubble. There's the boba. There is a little topping that is there where there's grape jelly, where there's aloe vera jelly, where there's just the 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 the, the Bubble tea, I don't know what, it's, what it is, what, what it is, the bulba, but you, you drink a little bit of, when you drink it from the straw, you get a little bit of the drink and you get the bulba. And you, and you get this awesome mixture where you get to choose something and drink something at the same time. It's great, right? The ideal experience is you get both at the same time. You get a bit of the bulba and you get a bit of the drink. Okay. But, I don't know if you've experienced this, every time, Every time I drink bubble tea, there are always moments where I suck on that straw and I get no boba. <laughs> where is it? It's there. I was promised it. I can shake it and I can, I, can, I can see it even through the packaging. But where is it? Right? It's stuck amongst the ice. Even though I asked for less ice, but still stuck amongst the ice. I'm trying to search for it. I'm trying to poke for it. It's not coming through. Right? Now, 
Our life is like drinking bubble tea. <laughs> our present life is like drinking bubble tea. There's gonna be times when the ideal experience that we're promised is whenever you drink, you're gonna get a bit of boba and a bit of the tea. But there's gonna be seasons where it seems like you get no boba. You drink, 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 nothing. Sometimes you get so much boba. Sometimes it seems, and these are seasons of revival, right? You, you get my mental. <laughs> seasons of revival. It's like the boba is flowing out. You can't even control it. It's just like, whoa, God, what is this? But it's not all the time. It's not all the time. And what I'm doing here is I'm simply defining reality. I'm just, I, I think we all know this. We all experience, this is our common experience. What I'm trying to do is simply acknowledge that Scripture acknowledges it. Scripture acknowledges that the fact that you know what? There's going to be seasons in your life. Sometimes moments, sometimes, sometimes when, you, when you pray, it seems as though God is not listening. There's going to be other seasons where it seems like every prayer you pray, it's like God immediately answers. It's like, bless his Lord, just, just like that. All the time. It's amazing. There's going to be other seasons where it seems like nothing's happening. No matter how hard you try, no matter how faithful you are, no matter how much you serve, no matter how good you are, nothing seems to happen. Where are my answers to my prayer? Does God even care? And these moments exist because we are in a season of exile where the bridegroom is not here, when the spiritual and the physical have not met yet. This will not last forever. Next week, we're going to cover, we're going to look at when the time when the physical and the spiritual are going to meet, and it's going to be great. The bulba is going to flow, right? The, 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 the lid is going to be cut off, and you're just going to be able to dig into it yourself. But that is not now. That is not today. So what do we do? How do we live faithfully today? This is when, this is why we need to develop a three-dimensional faith. It is very important that we, as believers, develop a three-dimensional faith. This is the kind of faith that remembers what God has done in the past, eagerly hopes in what God would do in the future, but still, and all at the same time, actively seeks and presses into what God is doing right now. Okay, a three-dimensional faith that is both fixed in the past, future, and the present. The three elements to developing a three-dimensional faith. Firstly, we need a past faith. We need to remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. When Israel was about to enter the promised land, Moses encouraged them with this. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 17 to 19. You may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Remember. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God would do the same to all the peoples you now fear. What is Moses doing? He is asking the people, he's challenging the people, challenging the people, remember. 
Remember, when you're facing a, a, a challenge before you, when you're facing a difficulty before you, look back and remember what God has done. Now, for us as believers, we have, there's two parts of this. We have our historical past. We have what is revealed in Scripture, right? This is all is recording what God has done. And for us, what has God done? So many things. But namely, Jesus Christ has come. He has set us free. He has died for our sins. We are whole in Him. We are reconciled with God. So you want to remember, does God love you? Look to Scripture. Anchor your faith in Scripture because that is who God says He is. When we remember the past, when we recall what Christ has done, what God has done, it reminds us of who God is. It anchors us on the character of God. Not only do we anchor ourselves on the historical past, but we anchor ourselves also on our personal past, where you have past experiences, that where God has been faithful to you, where God has been good to you, where God has shown His faithfulness, His love to you. Remember those times as well. When you're going through difficult moments, maybe personal tragedies, remember. And this is, and this is what we've got to do because those, those things are in the past. That's history. But what makes that history alive is when we recall it. We remember. It's like, it's like firing a grappling hook and, and anchoring our faith into those moments. Because we remember what God has done and, re and we, when we do that, we remember that, oh, God has healed me in the past, He will heal me today. God was good in the past, He's still good today because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, amen? That's the importance of remembering what God has done, of developing a past, a strong past faith. And this makes our faith strong. It gives us a solid foundation that is unshakable. However, you cannot just have a past faith. Because if all you have is a historical faith, then is God doing anything today? Because your faith can just remain in the past. God, when I ask you, hey, how, how is God, your, describe your relationship with God. Well, God has been good in my past. God has done all these things. God has done all, but yes, but is God doing anything today? Is God alive in your life today? Or is He just your past God? Our faith can become dull and purely historical. And that is why we also not, not just need a past faith, we need a future faith. A faith that eagerly hopes, eagerly looks forward to what God will do. Eagerly looks forward to. Meaning that we are, we are longing for that day. We are longing for what God will do, okay? When Israel found themselves in exile in Babylon, lowest point in their national history, when you're at a low point in your life, what is the message from the Lord that you wanna hear the most? My guess is you wanna hear the most at that moment, don't worry, it's gonna change. Don't worry, don't worry, any day now. I sense the winds are shifting in your life. God's gonna, God's gonna get you out of this valley. The, the valley is just, is, is over tomorrow and you're gonna be on the mountaintop sooner than rather than later, right? The, the, the dusk is setting. Dawn is coming, right? 
That was not the message of God to the people of Israel. Listen to what it says, Jeremiah 29 verse 10. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years, 17, no, seven zero, 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. 70 years. That was the message to the people of Israel. Yes, you are going to be in exile in this lowest point in your national history for 70 years. Therefore, settle down. Get seated. Don't listen to the prophets. If you read the chapter, don't listen to the prophets. They're telling you otherwise. Because they're wrong, they're lying to you. They're telling you what you want to hear. The truth is, you're gonna be here for 70 years. Yet, in the midst of this message, we get Jeremiah 29, 11, the famous verse that is plastered probably on your wall somewhere at home, or on your wallpaper somewhere, right, is, you can repeat it after me, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. The people of Israel didn't just need a past faith because they knew what God could do. They were banking on that happening right now. What they needed to hear though at that moment is to remember, even though your situation may seem dire, even though it may seem, even though you may look out and you are stuck in a foreign nation, even though you may look out and you're stuck in a metaphorical wilderness, remember, I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you and they are to give you a hope and a future. That is what I will do. When we are stuck in our wildernesses, when we are wandering in the valley and we don't know when the mountaintop will come, I can't tell you when it will come. I have no idea. I, have no, I wish I could tell you tomorrow. Oh, when, I, when I've gone through challenging seasons in my life and they have been quite recent, I've wanted to be over that day. Those points, we need to not only just remember what God has done, we need to anchor ourselves on who God is, what God will do. For I know the plans I have for you. They are not to harm you. They're to give you hope and a future. Because God is working all things for the good of those who love Him. Even though He doesn't seem to be doing it right now. We need to look up and remember that God is still a good God that is working good things for you. Not only that, if you look up just a bit further, we will see that God is not only working all things for good for those who love Him, but God is planning a glorious future for you. Next week, we're gonna see this glorious future that He's prepared for all believers, for all who persevere, for all who conquer, for all who are victorious in this life, for all who persevere in their faith, hang on to Him, you get that. You get that, you get that time when the bubble tea is open for you and the bubbles flow, right? You get that future, that future is yours because you know when you go through seasons in life where, where there is upheaval, where it's chaotic, you know those seasons if you've been through it. Seasons where life seems uncertain, where the things you knew have been thrown into the air. 
everything seems uncertain, everything seems unstable, look to the future. Lift up your eyes off your present and fix your eyes on the glorious certainty that is your future in Christ. Because that is your glorious inheritance. When God will wipe away every tear from your eye, when all suffering will cease, when all grief and all pain will be gone, when justice will flow like a river. That future is secured and is yours in Christ. In those moments, sometimes we need to both just not only have a past faith that remembers what God has done, but also we need to have an eager hope that looks forward to what God will do. But we need something more than that as well. If, because if you only have a future faith that eagerly looks forward to what God will do, well then we can actually very easily become very fatalistic. We can easily become resigned to our fate because, well, you know what? God will do this awesome stuff in the future, but He seems to not be doing anything right now, so I suppose this is my lot in life. It's very fatalistic. It's very, it can, you can almost have a passive, resigned faith in the present. And that is why we not only need a past faith, a future faith, we need a present faith that actively seeks what God is doing today. And we need it all at the same time. We need all three. We need all three. Because our God is not just a God who has delivered us from our past sins. He is a God who is actively restoring our brokenness today. Our God is not just a God who will deliver us from evil in the future. He is a God who is actively dispelling darkness and bringing his loving light to the dark places in our community and in our lives today. God is not just a past God. God is not just a future God. He is our present God. Psalms chapter 46, verse one. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present, ever-present help in times of trouble. Now, the tricky thing about actually living this out is that we tend to lean to one or the other. We tend to lean either towards a present faith and go, well, God, you heal me now. I have faith that you will heal me now. Yes, I have faith you come through for me right now. Amen. I claim that in Jesus' name. And if God doesn't come through right now, we get discouraged. We get discouraged. God, where are you? What are you doing? Are you still good? Do you still care about me? Or if we lean towards a future faith, we don't even pray at all. We go, well, God, you heal me now, you heal me later, it doesn't matter. And it might seem, that might seem really good. It is good, but it's missing something. It's missing something. There's a sense of resignation there. No, no, you need both at the same time. You need to actively pray and believe that God is your ever-present help in time of trouble. Can God give you healing today? Yes, He can. Because God is a healer. God just isn't just was a healer. He's not, he's not just a God that will heal in the future, because He will, but He's a healer today. So ask Him for healing today. At the same time, while you're asking and believing for healing, you have your eyes fixed 
on the future and go, and God is gonna heal me in the future as well. Amazing. Amen. And that gives you hope, regardless of the outcome. Regardless of the outcome. Regardless of whether you get a bubble, a boba or not. You are happy. You are joyful. You cling on to God because you have a past, future, and present faith. Psalms 23, that famous psalm, what does it say? When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. You were with me? You, you, you will be with me? No, you are with me today. Today. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When? In the past? Yes. In the future? Absolutely. And today as well. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. All the days. When is all the days? In your past? Yes. In the future? Amen. And today as well. Surely the goodness of God will follow you all the days of your life. And that is today. Just as Israel, even when they were in the desert, they were experiencing the blessings of God flowing amongst their midst. We, we experience the blessings of God flowing amongst our midst. And God wants to. God is eagerly waiting for His people to ask so that they can receive. Seek so that they can find. Knock and so the door can be opened to them. For if, if my child asks for something from me, asks for food, and every morning she will always ask for food. My daughter loves food. She always comes up to me and goes, Daddy, I want that. Whatever you're, whatever you're preparing for, for breakfast, I want that. If as a father, I am going to give that to her. If I as a father, I'm going to give it to her, even though I'm evil. How much more will our Heavenly Father, if you ask Him, give you and not withhold from you any good thing? Therefore, therefore, are you going through a challenging season in your life right now where it seems the blessings of God do not flow? Are you going through a season where you are questioning even the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the loving nature of God? You pray and pray and pray, but God doesn't seem to listen. The encouragement to you, my encouragement to you is this. Remember what God has done. Look back, look back. Remember what God has done. Look forward to what God would do. Look forward to what God would do. That is yours, that is yours in Christ. And then seek God again today. Because the blessings of God will flow. This God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's stand. As we sing the song, if you have a need, any need, you need healing, you need comfort, you need um, a breakthrough in any part of your life, especially if you're going through a season where it has been challenging to hang on. We want to pray for you. This is the time when we want to pray for you. 
We want to encourage you. And we also want to give you this opportunity to pray to God as well. To, 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 to seek Him with an active faith that is both anchored in the past, fixed in the future, but also actively and active and alive in the present. So I invite you to come down if that is you and we would love to pray for you. So as we sing the song, let's, let's, let, let me pray and then let's do that. Oh Lord, we thank you, oh Lord, that you are the same God. That you, the same God that we see in the Old Testament, the same God that we see in Christ. And so Lord, we pray, oh Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters and I pray, oh God, especially for those who are going through seasons where it is challenging, it is difficult, oh Lord, where they're seeking you for something. Oh Lord, I pray that you, that you will prove to them, you will show them that you are that same God of their past. You are that God in the future and that you will anger their hope in who you are today. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.